Nation's Big Red Poker. Brought to you by the Game Reviews and Unified Gamers Network. You're listening to Big Red Poker, the only podcast being run by two virtual boy owners. I'm your reigning host, Joe Liam, previous director for TPR. For the second straight week, I get to introduce the man who puts the eye into Holy Invasion of Privacy Batman. What did I do to deserve this? TGR's editorial and features director, Sanan Kuba. Sanan, what's up? Um, are you sure about that fact? Are you, have you researched this? Are you certain that this is the only podcast being run by two virtual boy owners? I'm pretty certain, yes. I would, I would put money on the line that this is the only podcast. Okay. <laughs> Then I'm fine. You're, you're okay. free to carry on. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, this week, Sinan and I are really excited uh, about our guest this afternoon, so let's get right to it. First up, making his second appearance on the BRP is Michael Abbott, the man behind the Brainy Gamer blog and podcast, as well as being a key inspiration to the show you are listening to right now. Michael, how's it going? Great. Welcome back. Great. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. And our next guest is Mitch Kirpata, which I believe I said that right, so that's good. Writer for the fantastic Insult Sword Fighting blog, as well as a contributor to the Boston Phoenix and Pulse magazine. Mitch, pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me and for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> I try. Get a 50-50 shot every week, so this week it was good. This week, Sinan, Mitch, Michael, and I will be taking, talking about control. Specifically, we will pontificate about the tools that connect the gamer to the game and how these have or have not evolved over the past few decades. Ever since the early coin-op days of computer science and Pong, buttons, dials, and joysticks have been the standard methods of control, with newer decades bringing trackballs, racing wheels, and even fully automatic weapons to the mix. In recent times, a lot of talk has been about the way that we, control needs to change to get non-gamers into the medium that we all know and love so much. But are these calls for change coming too late? Has control not evolved enough over the past few decades, forcing console makers to play catch-up now to recruit new fans? Or will these ideas discuss the dedicated gamers who are resistant to change, causing a rift between long-time and rookie gamers? So before we get into that, uh, let's start about talking something a little bit less urgent. I figured that we would go around the uh, long-distance roundtable here to see what games that have deviated from traditional control methods or use specialty controllers stand out in the minds of everyone involved. So um, let's start with Mitch. Which uniquely controlling games stand out to you as being enjoyable, different, or memorable? Well, uh, the one that I would have to say has stuck out the most to me is a really recent one, and that would be Guitar Hero and also Rock Band. Okay. Um, I mean, those are... I, I read in an interview with a developer of Guitar Hero once, and he said that he had a very hard time explaining to people what the game was that he was making until they showed people the guitar. And suddenly it made perfect sense to everybody. You know, he called it the secret sauce that made Guitar Hero worthwhile. And it is true that you can play Guitar Hero or Rock Band with a game pad. You can hit the buttons and flick a switch. And it will you'll play the music, but it, it doesn't work. I mean, I don't know if you've tried it. it it's beyond awful. And everything they've tried to do on the DS... And uh, presumably the PSP doesn't, re doesn't really work quite as well. Uh, and it's a case where they had a niche product where they had to come up with a new way of controlling the game. And they did it, and it is, to me, one of the most successful forms of interactive entertainment, period, that I've ever even laid hands on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy because, like, DDR had the whole thing where, oh, yeah, you have to buy this pad and everything to really enjoy the game the way it was meant to be played, but, like... Guitar came out for 80 bucks, and like most of these, you know, perpetual type games, like you know, Ace Combat with flight sticks, that kind of Steel Battalion, people didn't really flock to those things. But with Guitar Hero, it just kind of struck a chord with people, and everyone jumped into it, even though it's this weird, you know, giant 
$80 product, people flock to it in, in droves. And obviously, it's become one of the biggest things in recent years. But I guess there's just something special about the whole guitar thing that got people interested in, in playing this type of game. Well, you know, it's a, a funny difference between that. Like, DDR was popular as well. But the thing about playing Dance Dance Revolution is, even when you're playing it successfully, you're not actually dancing. You're kind mm. of, you're jumping. You're moving to the beat, but what you're not doing are actual dance moves. It doesn't matter what you're doing with your arms, things like that. Whereas with Guitar Hero and Rock Band, you're basically doing the thing that you would be doing otherwise. You know, mm. if you were doing it for real life. I mean, you're 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 strumming the guitar. You're hitting the drum pads with sticks. It's it's much more realistic than I think a lot of these. Something like Dance Dance Revolution comes close, but doesn't actually do it. It does a better job of like getting you into the whole illusion of yes, you are this rock star, and yes, you're really playing this guitar, that kind of thing. So that, that you don't have to suspend right. disbelief that much because you can kind of just jump in and play it like you would a real guitar. Yeah, you, you don't need much of an introduction to what you're doing because you say I've seen people play guitars before and I know what music sounds like, so you can just <laughs> step right in on easy mode, and most people are able to do that. Well, you know, the first thing I think about, which isn't, it doesn't answer the question exactly maybe the way you're pitching it, but, you know, okay. the control, the controller that got my attention first was the Atari 5200 controller. <laughs> and I, 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 does anybody remember, does anybody go back that far? Anybody play an Atari 5200? Absolutely. Uh, I've seen okay. it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, that it, it's the first time that I ever thought about a controller. Which it, it strikes me as kind of an interesting way of going about answering your question. That you know, it, it, in a certain way, if you think about it, controllers should never cross your mind. You 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 should just pick up this thing and get right into the game. It's sort of your interface to the game, and ideally, you know, you learn it quickly, or there's even almost no learning at all, and you're just in the game. And I was a big Atari fan, you know, 2600 and the whole thing. And when the 5200 came out, we were all really all excited about this analog control and. You know, it's going to have all this cool stuff. And it, it was, it just has always stuck in, out in my mind as the example of when a controller completely screwed up gaming. That <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, possibly the worst controller ever released. Um, it was just a terrible, <laughs> terrible mistake. And it, and it, it, when I think about controllers, for whatever crazy reason, that's the first one that pops in. I remember pulling it out of the box. I remember seeing those, those number, the number keypad, you know, and thinking, what? Like, what would a game do with these numbers? <laughs> and uh, it just, it was a complete disaster. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's an example of what happens when a company doesn't really think about game design, primarily how to make a controller kind of in service of game design and more about technology and what could we do with a controller, what sort of gizmos could we add on to it. And uh, mm -hmm. if you reverse that, as I think they did, it's bad. <laughs> Well, what kind of blows my mind is that a decade later, the same company released another controller with a number pad for the Jaguar. And <laughs> yes, that controller, did. in my opinion, was far worse than the 5200 controller because, I, I mean, I, I unfortunately own one of those things. And <laughs> I have about maybe six or seven games for the system, and there is not one game on that system that you feel comfortable playing because of that big, stupid, bulky number padded controller. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's true. And I, there were people that, you know, they would do the, um, the 2600 to 5200 conversion. You know, you could, right. uh, and that was, you know, like you could make good money doing that because people mm -hmm. didn't want to use that controller, but they were comfortable with their 2600. So you could just, you know, quickly, you know, if you knew, knew how to do that kind of stuff, just adapt it and then use it for the 5200. And I knew a lot of people that did that. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, when you're stuck with that other thing, I guess you'll go to any uh, means necessary to actually be able to play the games that you bought. Um, but it, 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 the crazy thing about it is like the most obvious stuff about it was wrong. And you, mm-hmm. you just you think these were the same people or you know, largely the same people that made the 2600. I mean, this is such a brilliant console. Like, how could it go that badly wrong? Like, how could they miss that widely? Uh, and you have I, to wonder if a quality assurance had been invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just, it, it, it just it proves to me, I think, that it's, it's possible for a bunch of really smart, you know, ambitious people in a room to focus on the wrong thing and then, you know, wind up just betting the farm on it, basically, and it can, it can go all wrong. It's not just video games where you've seen that kind of feature creep happen where, you know, you can't even pick up a TV remote anymore because it's got 800 buttons and switches and toggles, and you don't know how to just change the channel to watch your... You know, to watch whatever you want to watch. But what's interesting about the 5200 is it did come right after essentially a perfect controller. The joystick for the 2600 was completely idiot-proof. It made perfect sense. There was no way you couldn't pick it up and immediately say, I know how to play what's on yeah. screen. It's all, it's all right here. And maybe they thought that was a bad thing. Maybe they thought you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't expanding the, the boundaries of gameplay enough. But in fact, by giving people a way to pick up and play, they... They had already done it. They had already done what they needed to do. Yeah. And so ironically, you know, we, we all these years later, uh, Nintendo comes along and they, they're trying to sort of strip it all down again. Get back to something very, very simple. Mm-hmm. And look how that turned out. So I guess that goes to show you who was the, the real brain of the 1980s. I actually had a... Um, I had for 5200, I also had one of the trackball controllers, which was really big, actually. It was like maybe the size of like an arcade stick is now. And the problem with, like, you think a trackball, it's hard to screw that up. Yet, on the 5200, for whatever reason, the ball and the container that held the ball, it wasn't really, they weren't tight. So what mm. would happen is, while you're rolling the ball, your, your, the, like, the, the skin on your hand would get stuck under the, um, <laughs> under the thing. And it would basically hurt you every time you rolled it too hard. It would actually catch your hand and pinch you really hard. And as a, I was, like, maybe five when I was playing this, like, I wouldn't play the system because I would get hurt every time I'd use my trackball. So I, if that doesn't, I mean, <laughs> that isn't a bad idea. I don't know what is. I guess they didn't test it with small hands, but um, I should try it now. I got to see if it still hurts me. Um, I don't know. But um, Sinan, what ideas did you have? What uh, what games do you think stand out in your head that either hurt you or give you pleasure as a kid? <laughs> um, well, I was I I was a bit frustrated because Mitch stole mine, and I thought, well, someone's probably going to mention Guitar Hero and Rock Band, so that's fair enough. And then. Uh, Michael pertained to mine, which really frustrated <laughs> me. So, because I, I was going to say uh, PC point-and-click adventure games, basically because of how completely simple they were, and mm. it, it just stands out to me because I've just been playing Secrets of Monk- um, the Secret Monkey Island Special Edition, uh, and you know how many years it's been since that was originally released, and uh, it's so funny how adventure games are now back in fashion with the Wii because of the simplicity of the controls and uh, I was playing it on the Xbox 360 and it just uh, I don't know if anyone else has played the, the, the special edition on the Xbox 360 but the controls are terrible the controller doesn't work in it at, at all it's, it's ruined what was a really simple interface just by complicating it and <laughs> as much as I'm resorting to, to maybe not a very uniquely controlling game you have to blame Mitch and Michael for stealing my ideas so uh, <laughs> there you go that's fair enough I mean so I guess the, the point of every, what everyone's saying is that simple is better just basically uh, stop adding extra crap to our controllers because it's not making things more fun yeah. um, 
I mean, one of the ones I wanted to bring up is that I saw this thing at uh, E3. It's called um, it's it's one of something Sony's developing, basically using the camera that they've been they've been pitching for the PSP and the PS3. It's called Invisimals on the PSP. I think I described this on the show once before. Basically, you use the camera on your PSP to look around your house, and the game will superimpose creatures into your house. So you'll actually see like something on your couch when you're moving your PSP towards your couch. And to interact with it, you basically have to, like, smack the creature. So you move your hand in front of it, and you hit it, and that'll, like, interact with it. And the creature will fall down on the screen or something like you actually smacked them. And, I mean, we've used cameras in games before, but this is kind of, like, a really cool way of, of using cameras intelligently and bringing some gameplay into it. Like, one of the ways, like, one of the mini games, you have to kind of shake your PSP to, to make the creature dizzy so that you can catch him easier. Basically, it's kind of like a Pokemon-type game. So, I mean, there's no actual controller with this, but... It's a unique way of, of actually controlling a game that looks like a lot of fun, even though I didn't get to go hands-on with it. So I think that they're... I mean, I mean one of the things we're going to get into de- today, definitely, is like how you know, companies are trying to come up with these really unique ways to control experiences that may be similar to something you've played before, but the way you're actually controlling it now is totally different. And I think that that's a really cool thing to do for the future. Um, all right, so now that we named a couple of titles that are trying to be different with their controls or that you know uh, brought about some bad memories on uh, all of our accounts... <laughs> An argument can be made overall that gaming control hasn't changed all that much over the past few decades overall. So while the joystick became the D-pad and the amount of buttons continuously increased, the advances of controllers are seemingly minuscule compared to how much graphics, sound, presentation, gameplay, and multimedia capabilities have grown in our consoles. So um, I'll, go to, I'll ask Michael first. With all that said, do you think that control has advanced sufficiently enough over the past few decades? Well, I mean... If you go back to the arcade era, um, look at how they handled controls on those machines. You, you know, they were tailored to the specific game, and uh, you could watch someone play a game, and they were really busy. You know, like think about a, someone playing uh, Robotron with mm-hmm. two dual sticks, or uh, Defender, or uh, or um, Tempest, right? So you're looking at a player, and they're very busy, and they're active, and they're moving around. You know, and it's, there's no there's no mistaking what they're doing. They're playing a game. And, uh, you know, a certain kind of way we went through this period of reducing all that down to these tiny little movements, you know, on a, on a game pad with your fingers. And, you know, if you sort of walk into a room and see someone sitting on the sofa from behind, you, you can't tell what they're doing. It doesn't, they're just sitting there. Right. Um, and as you, it, it seems to me that in some ways we're emerging out of that back into kind of a full circle thing where we're sort of getting busy again playing games and, and making, motion and becoming physically involved and that sort of thing. And um, I think that's because uh, we're th- there was something about those arcade games, and they're obviously they're totally different kinds of games, but there was something about that activity that is fun. It's, it's fun, and it's, it's partly why Guitar Hero is fun and DDR and those kind of games. And not, not every game has to be like that. But I think we went so far the other way, where just every game was these tiny little minute little motions that um, now it's more fun to play games and you have more options. And I, I, I think that's a good thing. I think, by and large, um, this is driven by uh, game companies realizing that, you know, you don't have to play every game with the same simple kind of little gamepad controller. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, in a way, like, the analog control made that 100% different in that, you know, one little slight movement of your finger would make this big difference in what was going on on the screen. You wouldn't even have to push, the, you know, the buttons down anymore, basically, to make the guy move. But, um, I mean, back yeah, in the it's 80s, very hard. It's very hard right. to, I mean, look, look at that gamepad. I mean, look at that Xbox 360 controller. 
I mean, it's it's loaded. Um, so you know, for a hardcore gamer who, who knows what it's all about, great. But you know, um, those controllers are the the last thing you'd say about them is that they're pick up and play. Mm-hmm. So in a way, like we were saying before about the Atari controller just going way overboard with what they did, it's kind of you're feeling that kind of now the controllers they're just way too much. There's too much action on them, basically, for someone to really jump into it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the market's widening. Um, and it, you know, I think we sometimes get into the trap of saying, well, everything that comes along has to replace what came before it. You know, and really, I think it's really just a question of widening the market. So, um, yeah, I mean, certain games, you know, if you're going to play Halo, you need those buttons. Right. And, and, and so, great. And you've got a controller for that. That's great. But, um, you know, that's only one way of playing a game. And I think partly what we're seeing is technology driving different ways of interacting with games that um, aren't limited to that particular paradigm. And uh, that doesn't mean the gamepad's going to go away or that it should go away, but you know, it's a good thing, to me anyway, that um, we're sort of exploring this, these other options. I, I think I'll play devil's advocate a little bit um, in favor of the gamepad. I, I think we can all agree that it, it is pretty confusing. I have my Xbox 360 controller in front of me right now, and there's four shoulder buttons and four face buttons and the back and the start button, and there's two analog sticks, which are also buttons, and there's the digital pad, which is eight different directions. There's a lot there. But I think that the evolutionary steps that the gamepad has taken all the way from the Atari 2600 to now has made it versatile and allowed us to play a lot of different kinds of games reasonably well. You know, on this gamepad, I can play a flight sim, I can play a racing game, I can play a fighting game, I can play almost any kind of game, and it does work, and that's because of the little steps that have been taken all along the way. And uh, somebody mentioned the change from the directional pad to the analog stick, and I think that that is at least as big as any, you know, new, any Guitar Hero controller or any $200 mech controller that you could buy. I mean, that completely and fundamentally changed the way that we played games, and we don't have to buy a different controller for every game we have because we have stuff like analog control and we have stuff like force feedback. The the one controller that we have does do more, and I think that, that is, there's a lot to be said for that for as much as it is pretty confusing. And certainly the first time I ever picked up the original Xbox controller, the, the gigantic one that was like the size of a soccer ball, I did sort of look at it and go, oh, God, I'm too old for this. But I figured it out, you know. Right. So basically, like you're saying, to keep up with the way the games are now, all the different genres and all the different types of games now, you kind of need that big, beefy controller with all these buttons on it. Yeah, especially it's it's not necessarily a point in favor of the variety of gameplay that we have that you need a different controller to enjoy them. I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that I'm going to need a skateboard controller to play the new Tony Hawk mm. that I'm going to need whatever else is coming up that I need not only my Wii Remote but the Motion Plus in order to play Wii Sports Resort. I, I don't know that that's an unalloyed good either. You know, I think I think the versatile gamepad is almost by definition needs to be the main way that we play. Right. Well, I mean, especially with Tony Hawk and like DJ Hero and stuff like that, do you think like, I mean, those games are clearly results of something like Guitar Hero doing so well. Like, I mean, do you think that those games really need those controllers or that they're just kind of forced, you know, forcing these things on us to play so that we'll spend $120 on a single game? 
Yeah, I think people might have drawn the wrong lesson from the success of Guitar Hero. It's not that we want to pay 80 bucks, or in the case of Rock Band, you know, 200 bucks on every game that we play. I'm not sure that that's the lesson. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think these are just, to me anyway, these are all just interim solutions as, a, as the you know, industry evolves. That what you're, what, What's really behind all of it is a couple of factors. You're, you're trying to add some kind of motion control, some kind of motion sensing, however you do it with a camera or with accelerometers or whatever. Um, and you're also trying to add a th- kind of a three-dimensionality to it um, so that the, ga- the game, it, it, the system is able to recognize uh, space. And, you know, all these systems are doing is trying to get us there. And I think, you know, in 10 years or however many years, you know, these will be the little artifacts that people have in their closet, you know, that they're, they're, they're fun to bring out and show your grandkids. But it ultimately, I think, they're trying to take us to the place where we're inevitably going to go. And that, to me anyway, is um, a, a gaming paradigm that's more about being in a physical space. I think the problem is is that you mentioned this interim idea, which I, I do tend to agree with, but uh, the problem is that, and this is something Mitch was alluding to, the, the game companies have inferred the wrong lesson from Guitar Hero and want to fill up that attic you spoke of with as many peripherals as possible. And so uh, I don't know how many of us here have more than one Guitar Hero or Rock Band controller, but uh, I know I, I'm certainly guilty of having two, and I just think... It, if uh, the gaming audience are at some point going to be turned off on, on the idea of peripherals, if you know Tony, uh, another Tony Hawk peripheral comes out, uh, say uh, I, don't, I can't even imagine what other games. But you know, if we've got five or six peripherals in our house for our gaming experiences, it just seems at some point that it's going to feel like overkill, and that no one's actually going to be interested in, in the end game which you're alluding to, Michael. Well, I think Mitch said it right when he said it was this kind of slow evolution when you look at how the gamepad has evolved and that it's sort of slowly become, in a way, in its own kind of way, perfected. And you can see those incremental changes go along. Uh, that that reaches an end point where that controller works for the kinds of games that that work with the consoles that it works for. You know what I mean? It, it, that's, they all go together in a package. But... And, and you standardize on that, right? So if you go back to the GameCube, um, basically that controller, the PlayStation controller, the Xbox controller, they were all basically the same. And until somebody pushes that into something else that's radically different, we'll all just live in that place. But when the new paradigm, I hate that word, sorry, but there you go, <laughs> uh, comes along and we're in you know, more three-dimensionality and you can see the E3, I think, one of the remarkable things about this last E3 is that they were kludgy and they weren't, they weren't, you know, great and they didn't work super well, but there was a glimpse of something that all of the major hardware people are pointed at. And it's, it's a, a certain kind of gaming that will be many years before we get there. And when it comes, then we'll start standardizing on that and it'll be just like Mitch described with the gamepad, except it'll be standardizing in a different way. Well, to be fair, I mean, an example to use that's actually happened in recent years, I guess, would be the portable market, because if you look at, like, the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance, those kind of pushed where you could go with the D-pad and the buttons on a portable system to the max. I mean, if the DS was literally just a Game Boy Advance with slightly better 3D graphics, then it, it really wouldn't have made that much of an impact. But because Nintendo kind of went over the hill and said, you know what, we're going to try something crazy, 
um, it kind of revolutionizes the way people play portable games. And I mean, if you look at the numbers compared to the PSP, which is you know at its heart of a very traditional gaming console, it, it's it's kind of astronomical how much better the DS has done. And I think that's kind of what you know um, what Michael was suggesting would happen with the console market, where we're going to get to the point where the controller really won't work for us anymore, and then that someone's going to do something crazy that catches on, and that's going to become the next standard that people follow. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean the controller goes away. It, you know, it, it it functions for the games that it functions for, and there's another system for something else. But it doesn't mean you know ten different, ten more different peripherals. It, it things just the market wants to move towards standardizing because consumers will prevent it from doing otherwise. We won't buy fifteen different peripherals each. We just won't. But I, I think, you know, you mentioned the, the DS uh, and the iPhone. I mean, the, the iPhone is, I mean, what an extraordinary story that is in terms of gaming. It's, it's, it's unbelievable what's happening on that system. And you look at that and you, and you look at the DS, and I, I see the PSP as sort of the odd system out, that they designed it prioritizing certain things. And among those things they didn't prioritize was a touchscreen. And... That seems to be what portable gaming is going to be about. It will include that by by necessity. Um, and I'm not sure if that PSP has a future, frankly. Well, it'd be interesting in its current see, design. Right, right, right. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the PSP numbers would be like if there wasn't a rampant piracy problem on the system, because the system sells fairly well, but none of the games ever do. Like the games just do nothing, and. I, 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 and I agree with you. I think that people don't like me personally. I don't really want that kind of experience anymore in a portable. I don't want the full-on, you know, action platformer type thing. I want something crazy, weird, you know, touchscreen, pick up and play type of game. And I think a lot of people are really like that now. They, especially with the iPhone, that proves it. The fact that people just want these quick experiences that they can just, you know, open up, play with a little bit with their finger or with a little stylus thing, and then put it away. And I think that's where portable game the point that portable gaming has moved to, and I think that Sony is kind of unwise to put out the PSP Go now when people don't really want that kind of thing anymore. Right, and I'm, like I guess that that's a pretty good example of what Michael's saying. You know, to, uh, to use the word he hated, a paradigm shift, um, and. I guess Sony have been caught out with a bit of identity crisis with that with that console, but that that is a whole separate debate which we could yes. get sucked into. <laughs> All right. So, um, in talking the way that we currently control games, um, how these controllers affect the games that can be made should also be brought into consideration. Um, Mitch, do you think that the current control methods are limiting game designers in a significant way? I suppose you would have to say that they are, if if only because of what we were just talking about. When there is a touchscreen, you get different kinds of games. Um, and the fact that every single game company seems to want to move beyond the game pad would indicate that there is at the very least a market opportunity for something beyond what we have, um, and which also means there must be a creative opportunity beyond it. The The concern that I have is when we think we are moving to a different type of control and we aren't really... Um, which has been by, I don't know if anybody else has had this experience with the Nintendo Wii where it was going to be this brand new thing. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do motion control. It's going to be great. And when, when I waited in line at 5 a.m. to get my Wii and I brought it home and I started playing Zelda and I thought I was going to be sword fighting. And I said, wait, I'm flicking it one way to hit the sword one way. I may as well be hitting the A button. And I may as well be flicking, you know, if I flick it the other way, I may as well be hitting the B button for that kind of 
that kind of a sword hit. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is limiting to answer your question. I, I think that um, I don't know which has to come first, though. I don't know if the if the hardware needs to change before the software will, or if innovations in in game design, if the vision of people making the games is going to drive the hardware. I, I'm not sure which of those that is. It strikes me that people have seen the possibility that the Wii hardware allows, and they say, well, we can do better than that, and we're going we're gonna to really be the ones bringing you something new. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing we're crazy about the Wii is that, I mean, less, about two years after it comes out, they're already, you know, finding a new way, basically. Oh, no, no, this is what we really intended the Wii to be. Here, you got to buy this Wii Motion Parcel, right. slap it on the bottom, and huh. now you can actually play the Wii like we want you to. I think that's really strange. I can't really think of an example where something like that's happened in the past. And that's astonishing to me. They like they strung people along for two years. I mean, I, I like the Wii. I I enjoyed playing, you know, Wii Sports and everything. But I don't when you when you play Wii Tennis, for example, eventually you start to realize I actually shouldn't swing this thing. I shouldn't swing my arm like a tennis racket because that's mm-hmm. not what's going to actually result in me winning this game. I need to do little wrist flicks. I need to, in short, stop playing it as though I'm really playing tennis. And that, that to me has been kind of the funniest thing about the Wii is that to really succeed at these games, you have to not use it as though you're really physically doing the activity on the screen. And maybe the Motion Plus has changed that. I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but I hope that it has. I mean, Within within a day of getting my Wii, I was playing the bowling from Wii Sports lied back on my couch, flicking <laughs> with a wrist. And, yeah. you know, I immediately that defeats the point, so I, I completely agree with you, Mitch. Well, you know, the, it, there's two games that came out roughly the same time, at least in North America, for the Wii, that I've been playing a lot recently. One is Little King's Story, and the other is Wii Sports Resort. Uh, Little King's Story's been out a couple weeks longer. Um, and they have completely different solutions for how to use the same hardware, basically. Um, to me, the Wii Sports Resort, uh, the motion control is really great. I mean, that. Uh, there are some real stinker games in there that I don't know why they included them, but that the ones that are good work great. I mean, um, it it is one to one. The motion feels very um, easy, and you know the frisbee, for example, and the, the little sort of sword fight thing. Uh, those are flawless to me, um, and even just the slightest little tilt of your wrist can put a different spin on that frisbee or on the golf ball or whatever. The ping pong game is good too. Um, you play Little King Story; it doesn't have any motion control at all. I mean, it and it and I think it's a fantastic game, um, but they they felt no need to incorporate motion control for the sake of motion control. You you don't point at anything with the Wiimote. You don't. It doesn't. There's not a single point-and-click aspect to it. Um, and the biggest advantage of the of the Wiimote and the nunchuck in that game is that it's just more comfortable to sit with your arms by your sides and have, you know, just in a relaxed position play a game without having to grip a controller. That's it. Um, but to me, they both um, really work. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the best, the most fun I've had playing the Wii in the past six months would be Punch-Out, and that's a game that used no motion control whatsoever, when I played it anyway. I, the, they, they brilliantly allowed you to just turn the controller on its side, play it like an NES game, which is kind of how most people want to play Punch-Out, and you know, it works fantastically that way. 
and I've, I've tried the motion control in brief intervals, and it just really didn't add much to the experience. In fact, it actually, the only thing it added was um, a very quick knockdown from my character, because that's pretty much what happened every time I tried it. But yeah, I think that, like, that's the whole thing with the Wii, is that, um, especially early on, they tried to kind of shovel the controls into a game like Splinter Cell, which should never have had that type of control in it to begin with, and it didn't really work out, but... Um, the, the games that really work on the Wii, the games you actually have fun playing are the ones that are kind of smart about it and say, well, you know, we don't want to make the player you know, wiggle their wrist every time they want to swing the sword or something like that because that's going to get tiring and they're not going to enjoy playing it. We're actually going to make this make sense for people. And it's rare, but it's actually, um, that kind of makes you appreciate the Wii more when these developers actually nail it and get it right. And I'm hoping that the Wii Motion Plus means that we're going to get more games like that where the developers carefully integrate this stuff so that you have a blast playing it instead of just sitting there waggling your wrist over and over like you've been for the past couple of years. But you can understand why the traditional uh, player fears something like the Wii and something like Project Natal when, like like uh, Mitch saying, play, play Zelda and there's these superimposed Wii motion controls and and we've seen the videos from Project Natal with, I think it was Burnout Paradise and the driving and Clearly, that's going to not help the game in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> you know, it's why? Why in any way would you want an imaginary steering wheel and imaginary pedals with no give underneath your feet? It, and um, again, that that makes me dubious about the idea of, of standardisation because I feel like um, you know, there's a lot of faith in this audience from the from that we've got with the Wii that they're going to carry on with gaming, and I. I'm cynical about that, and I, I don't say there's. I don't want to separate the audience too much, but I I feel like the Project Natal is aimed at the same people who bought the Wii, and I don't think that's a, a, a ridiculous statement to say. So you've got to wonder whether people are, how disillusioned people are with the Wii that it hasn't delivered on the promises that it made. See, you and I can say that it does. It hasn't delivered on its promises, but I think. The average person who's bought the Wii wouldn't say that. I think they're very, very happy with their Wii Sports and the two other games that they own and Boom Blocks and whatever. And that they think those motion controls are terrific and, and, and they'll play Wii Sports Resorts and they'll notice that it's, it's a little better and they like that too. But, um, I, I think that the marketplace, especially the target audience for the Wii, has been largely quite happy with those controls. Does that does that same person then see Project Natal and see any difference between that and the Wii and think, oh, I need to go get that instead? That that's where again I get cynical. I you, I, I just think maybe that that same person is going to be quite content with with the Wii and uh, not really appreciate any improvement that may be offered by what Sony and, and Microsoft are offering. It seems to me that what's driving Project Natal is the Nintendo Wii, right? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> it, that's why you need this, and that's why you know all the engineers at Sony and, and Microsoft are running to the drawing boards. You know, a couple of years ago when they saw the writing on the wall, and and and, and off they go. They're, they're they're figuring out how to do motion control because you got to do motion control. And like you say, I think it remains to be seen how that improves gaming. But I think Nintendo it, they got so far out in front on this. And they created an, a segment of the market that that didn't exist, basically, or that had disappeared. And um, you know, that's it, whenever you talk about the Wii, it just it feels to me like you're talking about another thing. There's there's video game, and there's the video game industry, 
but but what what Nintendo's doing and what the Wii's all about and what that audience is about, it it is different than the kind of stuff that I typically write about on on my blog and that we talk about on podcasts. It's just a whole separate group of people by and large. Um, and and they don't read blogs and they don't read gaming magazines. Like we've been saying, there's like kind of a, a lot of people saying, "Oh, the Wii is this, the Wii is that." Um, the, the quote unquote, you know, more dedicated gamers that have been playing games for a long time, rather than the new found Wii owners who are just going and picking up playing Wii Sports. I wonder if the Wii had actually had like a Xbox 360 quality graphics, if those people would really be complaining as much as they do. Because a lot of the complaints that I read about the Wii is, oh, games look like crap, and oh, the games look like you know, two GameCubes taped together. <laughs> and I wonder if, like, if it had the same controls it has now, but with, like, better, you know, more beefy graphics or whatever, I wonder if people would be complaining as much as they do. Because the people that seem to complain a lot about games also seem to complain, and also seem to go on message boards and say, oh, well, PS3 has better graphics, look at this game, look at Killzone 2. Um, I mean, I'd say those are the two biggest arguments that I see on message boards, and I'm, I'm wondering if they're related. I wonder if the Wii had, like, a hardcore graphics processor in it, if it would actually not get as you know, complained at it pretty much as it is now. You may have a point, because when when the Wii gets it right, they really will knock it out of the park. The Resident Evil 4 edition, mm-hmm. uh, Wii edition, was... It took what, to my mind, is probably the best game ever made and made it even a little bit better. And... People did care, people did play it, and they liked it, but I, I think you're right that people didn't really care as much because it was just this older game. It you know it didn't look any better than the GameCube version. And that's been the case with a couple of games that have really nailed it. I mean, Super Mario Galaxy nailed it. It's it's a great game. The, the gameplay is very much for the hardcore, I would say. But because, they, because it's not HD, because it's not advanced, and because you could have the second player not really doing anything... It, I think it, it for a lot of people fell into that same sort of not real gamer game. You know, they sort of shoved it aside. And there are some examples of that. I, you know, there's more examples of that on the Wii. I think. Yeah, I mean, look at a game like Mad World or Okami or games that 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 clearly sort of try to make a virtue of the the limitations of the hardware. That they they go with an art style that's that's very different and that tries to um, you know tries to put something in front of the player that doesn't look like anything they've seen before. No More Heroes, you might say, to some degree, similar. Um, and those have been my favorite, among my favorite Wii games. Not so much Mad World, I'm so crazy about that one, but that graphically, um, it's encouraging to me when designers um, don't shy away from trying something different on, on, system, on a system that's obviously more limited in terms of its graphic power. Actually, yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. All right, well, I was going to say, Okami to me is a really interesting case where it came out for the PS2, and because it looked a little different and you know had, had some kind of a different storyline and you played as an animal and you were rescuing other animals, it, it wasn't, to my knowledge, a huge commercial success. And it seemed like a natural fit on the Wii. They put it out on the Wii, and I actually thought it was much worse, despite what you would have thought, because, granted, using the Celestial Brush, which is kind of the main part of the game, did work a little better. It didn't work so much better than using an analog stick on the PS2, whereas combat was much worse because you had to waggle the Wiimote instead of hitting a button. Yeah, so it was a case where even a game that should have found its its proper home on the Wii, I didn't think did, but I guess it did sell well, so 
once again, the lesson is nobody cares what I think. <laughs> I care. <laughs> I, you know, the, I agree with Mitch about, I mean, I prefer the PS2 Okami's graphics, actually, uh, because there's a certain kind of parchment paper kind of look that they, that they yeah, achieved. They, they, they colorized it too much on the Wii as well. Yeah, it's like all car, sort of, everything's bumped up uh, color-wise. But I, I like the I like the waggling I like the the motion control stuff um, in that I thought it was an improvement. But I think Mitch is right that if you want to point to a game that's had a a conversion to the Wii that made the most sense that really got every bit of mileage out of that conversion that it could get, Resident Evil Four is a great example of that. And it's as hardcore a game as you can get. Yeah. I've just had a Kami drop through um, my boomerang, which is like a British Gamefly service here, So, and that's for the Wii, so I'm completely in, <laughs> intrigued by all your comments and looking forward to playing that. But I think there's another side to what you're saying, Joe, about uh, players being turned off by the Wii and, and because of its graphics. I think that the Wii has become something because of how it was marketed and how the media took to it and, and, and its ridiculous popularity. And I, I, the biggest complaint I hear from all my friends is that they go into a store and they see all the Wii shovelware titles and it just turns them off the system. And I just think the, the Wii has got negative associations that maybe the logic, the, the logic of it is a bit silly in that, you know, there are all these great experiences for the Wii that you can play. And I think this is something you wrote about recently, Michael, that there are a lot of great games on the Wii. It's just that there's this perception of the system as being, to use a... Uh, a word Mitch has been fighting against casual. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think that maybe if we, <laughs> I think it's just the nature of, of our community, to be honest, we're very definite and, and black and white and the we is a casual system to, to the majority of people. Yeah. And that's why when games like house, of the dead overkill and mad world and no more heroes and all the conduit come out, it doesn't. They don't really get the notice that they would have if they had come out on 360 or PS3 because the Wii audience doesn't really want to play that kind of stuff. They really want to play the more, you know, the more more Wii type experiences that are out there, and and that's um, um, well probably why most of those games haven't taken off in sales. I just, I, I guess, I wonder if that means that there's quite a lot of risk with uh, the, you know, what Microsoft and Sony are doing because, like, like Michael said, it's. Basically, they are trying to ape the Wii and create something that's uh, the next version of it, but it, is that what their audience wants? And I guess that's really kind of what we're getting onto in, in terms of does the gaming community at large want these changes? Well, I mean, also if you look at like what Sony tried to do with the 6-axis um, a couple of years ago, like they, they kind of tried to spoon-feed some of the motion control into their controller. Um, they didn't put, I guess, that much thought into how that was going to work exactly. Or That's very generous of you, Jerry. Um, <laughs> I said on a previous show, I, I spoke to a Sony uh, developer at E3 2006, which is when they debuted the motion control. Um, and out of the four or five developers I talked to, only one of them had heard about it before the press conference. So, <laughs> and that was the Warhawk guys. Those are the guys who actually showed off their game with, youth, with the controller at E3. So that, I don't know. I think, you know, the fact that Six Axis has kind of gone away is a very good thing, and because people reacted so negatively to it, is is also uh, it goes to show like that kind of thing. But I think you know for the for the future for, the, for these new things that they announced through, they kind of have to nail it. They have to kind of with all the launch games that come out with those systems, they have to do these crazy things that the dedicated gamers you know are going to want to play. Like not saying that they don't want to have it. But Gamers Traffic.com, Ninja Fat Vision, Craigie Games UK.com, Frugal Game and Scroogecast. 
podcast that has three words in the same. We have been speaking about how control has been traditionally handled in games, but are now going to take a look in the not-too-distant future to see what the big three have in store for us. At E3 2009, the focus of all the console makers' press conference was control, and how Wii Motion Plus, Project Natal, and the Sony Motion Wands will change the way we play games. The question that I ask you, Michael, is, do we want this kind of change? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There um, you go, Joe. Oh, fair enough. Did you want me to elaborate on that? <laughs> okay. If you'd like to, I mean, <laughs> up to you. Well, I mean, we want it. We want it to change if it's good. You know, like mm-hmm. we want it to be there, and we want it to make this really cool difference. If it makes the game better, if it makes it whatever more immersive or more interesting or, or whatever, and um, I don't know whether that will happen immediately, but um, this maybe this is a simple-minded response to your question, but I think any time these big corporations with lots of money to spend are sort of funneling it into um, R&D and trying out new ideas and testing out stuff, you're going to have a lot of stuff fail or whatever, but ultimately some things will stick. And I just think that's in general a good thing, that, mm. that complacency is a bad thing. And one mega corporation dominating the industry is a bad thing um and so as long as you've got these three big groups all trying to compete um for the gamers money and trying to sort of re-divide up the market if if can if a control scheme can give somebody an edge and inspire developers to make really cool games to go with that then uh great i just hope that in the process of this development that they're talking to game designers that the game designers are knocking on their door and saying we could do this if you could give us this right and not the other way around not a bunch of engineers coming up with our atari 5200 controllers you know of the 21st century that then that then developers have to figure out how to use Uh, if that's happening then i'm i'd be very encouraged well, one thing you said is that you know it may not happen right away as far as like being successful and coming out with good stuff for these things. But do you think they really have that 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 leeway? Do you think if like right away if if Natal and and the Sony Wands don't launch with like some killer apps that like the people will really care about these things, or will it become the next iToy where it's kind of a flash in the pan in the beginning and then it just completely dies out and no one uses it ever again? Well, you need that game, right? I mean, I, the, the the most important game of this generation is Wii Sports. That doesn't mean it's the best game or anything like that, but it's the game that demonstrated what that console's all about, and it proved Nintendo's point. And, you know, we can quibble with how well it works and whether it should have worked better or whether we should have had to wait two years for it to really work, but ultimately, <laughs> Wii Sports is the game that got it done for Nintendo. And if... 
Natal or whatever other um, innovation that they bring along, another company does, if we if it's going to work, it needs the game that everybody wants and that everybody clamors for. And, uh, you know, if, if that happens, then they've got it. So the only chance, basically, Natal and Sony have of becoming the next Wii Sports is basically they have to come up with an equal product, something that is equivalent to Wii Sports or Halo or... God of War, this big thing that everyone wants. Otherwise, if, if they don't kind of capture that attention right away, it could fall by the wayside and kind of become the next success. Yeah, and it, it could be. I mean, you wouldn't describe Wii Sports as a big game. You would describe it as the, the only way you could play that game is on this system. That's what it has going for it. And if Project Natal can come up with a way cool game, the only way you can play this game is on this system, and it's lots of fun, and everybody wants to play it, and it, it picks up that sort of cultural cachet, then, then they've, they've you know, crossed that line. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a big, ambitious you know, game, you know, Grand Theft Auto 9. It, it could be a fairly simple game, but something that's got a hook... I mean, Guitar Hero, Guitar Hero has it. It's it's a hook that just says, "Wow, this is really different, and this is a lot of fun, and nobody else has this. Nobody, no other system can I do this with." Right. Do you think from the if you presentation for Project Natal was Milo possibly that killer app for Project Natal? Because it, it it the way you're describing it, not that I have much faith in it being recreated as we saw it, but it it comes across as being that killer app to me for Project Natal. Yeah, I I have no idea. I'm so terrible at, at predicting the future in, in, in these ways. I mean, I, stuff I think is going to be a hit isn't, and vice versa. But um, my guess is that we haven't seen the game. That the first generation of this stuff, it's all still percolating, and uh, they're showing us stuff, acting like they've got a lot to show. And I have a, I have a feeling this they actually don't have a lot to show yet. That these projects are uh, they're. Far, lo- far enough along that you can go to E3 and demo something, but in terms of a, a, a game that, you, that realizes the full potential of what they're looking at, um, I'm guessing that we don't, what, we don't yet know what that is. To be fair, I don't think that Milo is that killer app. Um, even if <laughs> it comes out as advertised as they showed it at E3, even if it works like that in your house, I don't think that the Grand Theft Auto gamer would be interested in that type of game. I think there would have to be something um, a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more you know, Gears of War like to actually get the majority of, of you know, uh, traditional Xbox gamers to get into this and to get the attention of people who don't yet have Xboxes that they would want to pick it up for this. I don't think Milo would really hook that kind of person. You know, the thing about the Milo thing is as cool as it looks, what it doesn't seem to me to do that Wii Sports did is demonstrate the potential of what you might be able to do with Natal. I mean, right. it's absolutely true about how important Wii Sports is, and it's not just because it did work pretty well, and it's not just because it was packed in with every Wii. It's because you could do six different things. You know, they, they, decide, they designed it in such a way that you said, oh, I can do... If it was just Wii Tennis, you would say, well, I can play tennis with this, that's, that's fine. But you could do tennis or baseball or golf, and you say, oh... There's potential here beyond just what they're showing me. I mean, it's implicit in what the game is. It's you can do all these different things. I, I don't know that I get that same impression from the from the Milo demo. I just I, to go back to what you were saying, Joe, about 
something that's Gears of War or Halo, I just don't think that's who they're really pitching this to. I don't. I really don't think that anything they they showed in E3, apart from that short video of Burnout Paradise, which I've already lambasted, um, I don't think there was anything that suggested they were pitching to the the audience who already has an Xbox 360. I, I think as Mitch just said, like the the, the software kind of has to show off all the capabilities of the the new hardware. Like like Wii Sports, you know, pretty much gave you um, it. By playing the six games that are in Wii Sports, you can kind of figure out exactly how to play any other game on the Wii because it demonstrates all the tools that you basically need to play anything else. And, um, like, I think that Milo does demonstrate some of those things, but I don't think it's in a, as interesting of a way. Like, sports is something that anyone can get into, anyone can play. I could pick up play bowling and I'll have a great time with it. But, like, talking to a little boy... Uh, about his day at school. I don't think I think there's a very small demographic of people who'd actually be interested in that. And even if they're not, it's the game. <laughs> okay, if they name it that, I'd have to buy it. But um, like to be honest, like I think that um, I understand what you're saying about how they don't they're not necessarily pitching this to the Halo audience. But for it to be successful, those people would have to kind of be interested in it also. I don't think that they can just ignore that audience. I think that they have to at least deliver something like Wii Sports that would appeal to everybody. And Milo, as he stood on that stage, would not appeal to everybody, not at all. And I think that they would have to have some type of either sports or action or something that would get someone that plays Gears and Halo and Call of Duty to say, hey, that looks kind of cool. I want to get that. Maybe the next Call of Duty will use it this way. Something stupid like that. But I think that's where they have to hook. They have to hook everybody with this thing, and I don't think Milo was really the key to that. I think they were trying to do that with the burnout clip, but I have to I have to totally agree that I think that that is almost, to me, the surest sign that this probably isn't going to work. Um, first of all, not, not just the pretending to have a steering wheel. I, I, I hate to say it, but somehow that seems dumber than holding a fake steering wheel, and I don't know why. But uh, today, before we were doing this, I was flipping through the most recent issue of Game Informer, where they talked about that, and they said, we're pleased to report that it controls almost as well as a joystick. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, if it doesn't control much better than my gamepad, then it's going to fail. It's not going to work. There's no way. It can't even be as good as. It has to be better. And the fact that they just said, yeah, it's almost as good. You're going to love this. I thought, well, that's it. That's the nail in the coffin for this thing. But you 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 articulated, Joe, earlier that the the difficulty, I think, that Sony and Microsoft face, that if they want to appeal to the Halo, GTA crowd, whatever, Call of Duty crowd, I mean, I'm not convinced that those gamers want anything new uh, in terms of controls. I mean, how many hardcore, quote-unquote, gamers do you know are sitting around saying, I I wish these controllers were better, or I wish I could control this game differently? What Nintendo did was they, they identified an audience that was either underserved or completely unserved by games. And they convinced them that they could, they, they would be worth going to their Walmart and buying this thing and bringing it home and hooking it up to their TV and that they could have fun with that. To, to take an existing group of gamers and, and make that significant of an impact, I think, is a tall order. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's even possible. 
to, to underline Michael's point, I mean, the, the changes from, say, Gears of War to Gears of War 2 or Halo 2 to Halo 3 are minute, and yet the smallest change will cause the largest amount of controversy in the <laughs> fan base. You know, if, if one button is mapped to a different, you know, one action is mapped to a different button than from the previous game, it will cause a huge fuss. Can you imagine that, you know, that, that gamer being then told, right, you have to have to stand up, use your hand as a pistol, and run around in front of your... No, no chance. Absolutely not. But I think if they did come up with a compelling way to present that game, like to present the Call of Duty to, with using these cameras, and I don't mean standing up with a fake gun because that would just wouldn't work, but if they came up with something for it, like, I don't know, maybe something, like, I mean, you use, I mean, the stupid night vision headset that comes with the new Call of Duty, <laughs> you could actually use that in the game somehow. Like, if they come up with something stupid like that, that people would say, well, I could play the game as the way I have it now, or I can, you know, play it the ultimate way and have this awesome other thing that I can do while I'm playing the game. I mean, if people are going to spend $150 on a stupid pair of night vision goggles, then I could see them also wanting to play the game in the quote-unquote ultimate way by having this extra feature tacked onto it. I can totally see, like, certain part of that audience saying, yeah, I kind of want to play this ultimate. I want to play this with everything I can, so I'm going to buy this in Tal, and I'm going to throw my hand through the air whenever I want to throw a grenade at somebody or something like that. It sounds like a fad. Uh, the way you're describing it, it sounds like a fad that will, or a novelty, and I guess you could argue that some people yeah. would call the Wii that, but um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know, I just think to go back to Milo, which I, I, I guess I'm the only one who really has much faith in him, um, but he, the way it was, it was shown, it reminded me of The Sims, and you know, just it, it's, and this is going again with to what Michael said, maybe to us, Milo isn't really that interesting, but to this core audience who we don't really understand and don't really get, like maybe the idea of talking with a nine-year-old boy is really exciting. Maybe they think it's it's just something that's never been done before and it will sell crazy like The Sims. I just, I, as much as I don't want them to, I think Microsoft and Sony would be in much better stead if they were going to try and ape the Wii as much as possible with these with the, with their systems. Well, yeah, this sounds crazy, but I I think they missed the boat, uh, Microsoft and Sony on an opportunity this, they would have needed to have done this a couple of years ago at least but it, if they could have made with a different control scheme that sort of pointed the way towards another way that they wanted to go in the, in, in in terms of their company and the how they wanted to how they wanted gamers to control games basically they should have made a totally killer kick-ass Harry Potter game and they and they should have they should have it should have been ready with the hardware coming out, <laughs> and you, you should have been able to have this unbelievable kind of tactile control over Harry's environment, and you could cast spells, and you can do all kinds of crazy things, and all of it, you know, an entree into that particular kind of hardware innovation that, they've, that they're sort of hinting at. If they had been able to put that together during the height of the Harry Potter craze... And captured that market, they could have done it. I mean, it, it's, it's like a ridiculous idea, but it, it's always seemed to me that we're going to be past the Harry Potter craze, and and the gaming industry completely blew it. Like they could have really made a great gaming franchise out of the Harry Potter series, and they just made a bunch of, you know, mediocre movie tie-in games. So maybe Twilight is the key. <laughs> God, did you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
One for the history books. First time Twilight has ever been mentioned on Big Red Potion. In a positive tone, my word. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, the last couple of years, Sony and, and Microsoft have kind of trying been able to, you know, to get that kind of audience into games, especially Microsoft. They've been pushing it pretty hard. I mean, you're in the movies was a pretty significant chunk of last year's E3. They showed off how, how you know you can get anyone in. Your your mom can play this game. She can run around and hey, then she's in the movie. It's really cool. And um, I, I really shouldn't admit this, but I did buy that game. Uh, and it's not that terrible. Like the mini games are just crud. They're absolutely not fun to play. But the whole thing at the end, where oh, you're in this movie. Oh, there's my friend running through this dinosaur world. It kind of like that kind of new weird side effect of gaming is really entertaining, and I've gotten like a, members of my family, members of my girlfriend's family, to jump into this thing and love it. And I think like, you know, even though as Michael said, maybe it's too late to to try and hook those people and to get this this new kind of game experience out there to Microsoft and Sony uh, system owners, I think that if they did come up with something just crazy different that used the advanced technology that the 360 and the PS3 have to offer that you know, did something cool and different that the Wii could never do, I think that there is still a chance that they'll, they'll get this audience. That they'll, they may not get 50 million consoles sold this generation, but at least they'll, they'll plant the seeds so that when the next PlayStation and the next 360 come out, maybe those kind of people would kind of look at it differently and say, hey, you know, this isn't that bad, and, and, and maybe be interested in it in a similar way that they would be to the Wii too. Well, and, I mean, the way they're talking about it, they're saying that, there aren't going to be another. There's not going to be another 360 or another PlayStation for years and years. It's almost as though they're pitching these as the next generation of the hardware. They're they're not going to come out with a new system. They're going to use it, it almost as a platform for for new hardware to try out. Which that that kind of thing has a really spotty history of commercial success. But hey, you know, more power to them. I mean, to be fair, like I don't want to make this comparison, but the little devil on my shoulder is telling me that I have to. But the 32x was that also. Oh God! And, do, you, like, do you have any I idea mean, of the memories you're bringing up right now? <laughs> oh, I have one. Believe me. <laughs> oh God! It was the worst, wasn't it? Well, Star Wars, are, no, Star Wars Arcade was terrible. I'm sorry. Just yeah. forget what I just said. That, but um, yeah. it was the same thing. It was we we don't want the Genesis to die. There's a lot of people who have Genesises out there, and they just want new 3D graphics. So we're going to give them 3D graphics for the Genesis. And I mean, God damn, that thing was a piece of crap. Beyond and, that, I mean. Even if that thing had a, had killer apps, and it did, it had Virtua Fighter, and Virtua Fighter was a very popular game at the time, and the best version of Virtua Fighter was on the 32X. It was better than the Saturn version. Yet, I mean, it, even with that, it's it's just the idea of it was completely terrible, and the fact that no one bought that thing at all, the fact that it was canceled when only 16 or 17 games were made for it in the U.S., that just goes to show you how people did not want anything to do with adding on to their Genesis, even though there was a ton of Genesis owners out there. And I'm afraid that unless Natal and Sony come out with something just ridiculous at launch, something that everyone in the world wants to buy, which I don't really think will happen, that it's going to be a similar reaction from a lot of people. It's just going to be, why would I buy this? I already have an Xbox. I don't need this crap. I feel like there's, and this is something I've always felt about with, with Microsoft and Sony in, in this generation, that... Uh, if you could amalgamate the two, then you'd have this <laughs> uh, this uh, company that could really fight Nintendo. You could have Microsoft's marketing and Sony's intelligence, and then you'd have a really great company. It's just I felt that way throughout the E3 presentation as well, that Sony maybe have produced a better product and emotion ones. 
but their presentation stunk compared to <laughs> Microsoft's Project Natal presentation. And, you know, Michael mentioned that you need that killer app. You also need the marketing. I feel like uh, Sony are never, ever going to produce a marketing campaign that will ever work for their system. And similarly, Microsoft are never going to really produce that, that application to, to match Wii Sports. So I, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm with Mitch. I, I, I kind of worry a bit about <laughs> where this is all going for these two companies. And, and what Sony has said so far hasn't exactly been promising. I forget who said it, but someone's like, oh, maybe you'll be able to play God of War with these wands or something like that. Like that, I don't really think that they're looking in the right direction, basically, for the products. And With Microsoft, the stuff they've shown off has pretty much just been tech demos and little things that will never, ever come to market, like the painting thing and stuff like that. So I don't know. I really don't know what their plan is for either of these two. And, and they're both, quote-unquote, coming out next year, Um as far as we know. Uh, I don't know. I think that it's it's going to be an interesting time and there's going to be a lot of discussion, but I don't necessarily think that either of them will even come close to getting the mainstream attention that even Wii Sports Resorts will be getting because of the, the Wii Motion Plus. So you guys think the Wii Motion Plus will really catch on? Do you think a lot of the Wii owners will actually go out and buy this thing um, and get into the Wii Motion Plus uh, in a similar way, or is it just going to be kind of stupid add-on that no one really actually gets interested in? I think Wii Sports Resorts will be huge. Yeah, I think I think they'll sell it'll, they'll sell millions and millions and millions of copies, and that puts that um, Wii Motion Plus controller in those homes, and then the developers can step in and make use of it. Um, will they? I don't know. You know, I I, I thought that the um, Wii Fit balance board uh, would have a similar kind of um, effect on developers with the kind of penetration that it's had. Um, they've sold a zillion of those. But, you know, for the most part, developers are ignoring that. Um, but the difference there, of course, is that, you know, you've got to haul it out and from wherever you're storing it and bring it into the room. And, you know, once you've got the Motion con- uh, Plus controller attached, it's there, and you're going to likely continue to play your other Wii games with it already attached. So you're not going to take it on and off, you know. And it's very cumbersome to do that. So developers will know that if they bring out that motion control game, that there's at least a critical mass of people out there who own Wii Sports Resort, then they're ready to go with that new game. Right. Right. And I mean, I guess the the other point is that there's the view that really from developers that the people who own a balance board are the people who bought a Wii for that balance board and only that balance board. Whereas right. if you're going out and buying Wii Sports Resort, at least you're going out and buying a game. And you might possibly buy another game and another game after that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's the Motion Plus. I, I completely agree, with Michael. It's going to catch on uh, and do very well. But Nintendo, they're they're so savvy about this stuff. You know, it's like if you look at the uh, Smash Brothers, they give you 18 different ways to control the characters. You know, you can drag out your old GameCube controller. You can use the classic. You can use one Wiimote. You can use a nunchuck. And I think most games coming out over the next at least couple of years that want to use motion control will also have to be somehow backwards compatible with some fewer features or whatever to people who don't yet have that. I think the more interesting question is, will it lure back the traditional uh, players who were turned off in the first place by the Wii. And I feel like, I don't know if anyone caught the co-op video uh, from the guys formerly at 1UP when they uh, 
did basically a review of Wii Sports Resort, and I feel when you if you've got those kind of people saying such positive things, and the mainstream starting to side with we you know the mainstream press sorry starting to side with Motion Plus, it'd be interesting to see whether there's it, it shifts maybe the audience who have got the Wii not massively, but just maybe a few of the people who were turned off initially coming back, and maybe a change in game development. It, I think that's a bit of a long shot, but it'd be interesting to see. Mm. Well, I think it's already happening a bit. I mean, I think that this year's versions of, say, Tiger Woods on the Wii is getting far more interest than it ever has in the past because of the Wii Motion Plus. I mean, I know a couple of people that haven't touched their Wii in six, eight months, yet they're buying Tiger Woods. They're going to buy the tennis game. They're going to buy Wii Sports Resort because of this new way of controlling and because now they actually have to, you know, swing the golf ball up. Putter, like it's actually a real stick and, and stuff like that. So I think that in a way it is going to bring a couple people in. Whether or not those people stick around or whether or not it's going to be the same as what happened with the Wii when it launched um, is, is, I guess, up to the developers and whether or not they're going to keep coming out with uh, stuff that people want to play. But I do think it's going to have at least a small impact. The only thing I'm afraid of is that it's kind of like, I mean, the last two years Nintendo has been throwing a lot of um, extra add-ons for the Wii out there with the wheel and you know, the nunchuck, the uh, the classic controller, all this stuff. I'm just afraid that the Wii Motion Plus gets lost in the shuffle a bit. Well, I mean, it's been very smart of them to include it with games that show off what it works. I mean, if you had to buy the Mario Kart wheel separately, nobody probably would have. Yeah. But packing it in with the game, you're like, oh, great, you know, this works, and now I know I can do other stuff with this wheel. I mean, that's maybe been the smartest thing they've done. I mean, not only do you get the Motion Plus with Wii Sports Resort, but you actually got it with Tiger Woods, right? They they right. bundled them. And, you know, that's been the case with everything they've done. I mean, they, they came out with a game that wasn't even really a game, Wii Play, but it came with another controller, so everybody bought it. They've been they've been extremely smart in, in a way that nobody has done in probably 20 years with bundling hardware and software together. Yeah. Well, it, you know, quality helps. I mean, uh, it Tiger Woods, last year's version... Uh, didn't come anywhere close to the sales of the other SKUs. Um, this year, uh, I don't know what the numbers look like recently, but at least in the first couple of weeks that the games were out, you could go look at Amazon's listing, and Tiger Woods for the Wii was either two or three on the uh, highest uh, sales list, and uh, the Xbox 360 version was somewhere like 21st. Um, so that Wii version, which is exceptionally good, a version of Tiger Woods, um, you know, has done has done well for them. Absolutely. I mean, I've got uh, diehard Tiger Woods fans telling me to buy the Wii version over the 360 version, which I never thought I'd ever hear. So, uh, just tells you that there is something really behind this Motion Plus. Do you think? Do you guys think that with that we want gaming to start infringing? I'm not infringing. I want to reword that. So much, so much more active and so much more physical. <laughs> because I, I just. I guess with Wii Fit, that, that for me, that infringed on my personal <laughs> level how much activity I want to put into gaming. And if I want to go be fit, I will go be fit outside. And I, at some point, I just think there's, everyone's going to have this wall with physical gaming. And uh, I, that's my other cynicism regards the motion controls and, and, and cameras. I mean, should gaming be so physical is, I guess, what I'm asking. Well, I don't mind if that's a component of what the game is as long as it works. One of the things that I think is going to be tricky is being able to do all of the things that you can do with a gamepad if you're just using a camera. 
for as, as much grief as we give the game pads, and I've certainly done it myself about how nowadays you got to hold down the left trigger and use the analog stick and hit the X button just to do one thing, that's because your character can do dozens or hundreds of things. And if they don't find a way to translate that into the games that use cameras and motion control, then it, it could be trouble. I mean, maybe maybe that's not the case since the Wii is doing so well, but I mean, I, I wouldn't want to give up you know, the, the combos that I can do in God of War or something, you know, by... I, I don't know. Maybe I lack the imagination. I don't even know how you'd do that. Well, and, and just because you have a controller that can do certain things that are motion-based doesn't mean that that's the only way the controller can be used, right? So, I mean, the example I used earlier was Little King's Story. It, even some of the reviewers, I think, um, in my opinion, mistakenly criticized the game for a, a lack of a motion control or some kind of use of the Wii mode that's different than the way it's used. Um, and I think that part of that just comes from, well, it's a Wii game, so where's the Wii stuff, you know? Like, why would you make this like another system when you've got the Wii mote and the motion control? And I think sometimes, you know, a, a more conservative or a, a more sort of faithful to uh, a gaming system that you're familiar with, in this case, maybe real-time strategy games, if you've got a way of doing that that works better than another, then that's what you should use. And that may or may not involve motion control. So, you know, you've got that Wiimote in one hand and you've got a nunchuck in the other. You can do a lot of stuff with the buttons and the triggers and the stick and all the rest of it without incorporating analog, uh, I mean, without incorporating motion control at all. Yeah, I guess that's, you're both exactly saying what I've been thinking. Um, it's just, to get back to Joe, one of the first things you said was Halo regards this, and I think that's the biggest stumbling block is going to be able to recreate these gaming experiences in a way that works with these controls that's better. That that And that that's as simple as it is. I've, I guess the things that impo- impressed me most from the, the presentation for Project Natal was actually the girls going through their clothes and superimposing it upon them. And I just, I saw that and I thought, right, I can see my friends doing that instantly. And that's completely new and different and not really very similar to anything that's to do with gaming now. So I, I just, I think if Project Hotel and Sony's Motion Ones are going to work, it's gonna, they're going to have to really think outside the box and try to recreate completely new gaming experiences. And if they do, then that will be really exciting. And, uh, but I just, I'm incredibly cynical after this discussion. I was even more, I was quite cynical before. I'm incredibly cynical now. Well, can I ask you a question? And, and I'm curious to know what you think about this. It, if you go to GDC, the last couple of years, you might find a handful of talks, sessions, whatever, that have to do with controls and how to best use controls or how to implement them in this or, or another way. Um, what you do find are some really fascinating kind of real fundamental discussions about game design that get to issues that I think are significantly more interesting than controls. Um, it and would it make sense for us, in a way, would it be better for Project Natal and, and that sort of momentum to slow down or even to fail temporarily and, and let designers continue to focus on what I think are significantly more interesting issues in terms of game design and work through some really exciting ideas that I think are, are emerging? And then rather than throw in this whole new uh, control paradigm, which for developers has to be a chaotic situation. I mean, it throws 
everything they're doing into a, 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 off balance and all their momentum must go another direction all their resources have to go another way. I mean, to a certain extent, would we be, be better off, at least in the short run, if we waited on the motion control stuff? I, I guess I would say that anytime there is something new, I mean, we, we've talked about the DS and we've talked about the Wii, and both of these games have had more than uh, both of these systems have had more than their fair share of total crap. I think we'd probably all agree. It took at least a year, I think, for people to start to realize that they could do anything interesting with the DS. And the question is, is it worth you know those mixed results at first to try to lay the groundwork for things that will come down the line, as have done with the DS and the Wii? Um, I mean, to to completely answer your question, Michael. Uh, personally, I would rather we stuck with the gamepad and tried to do more interesting things with the games because I don't think we've nearly scratched the surface of what can be done just with what we already have. A great example of that is Far Cry 2 came out last year and people are still just peeling that game apart and seeing what there is to, to, to see in that game. And we didn't need motion control to do it. You know, there's, there's a lot... Sometimes you can be more creative when you have boundaries, you know, when you figure out what can be done within these limits, I think you can sometimes figure more out more interesting things. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I mean, this is kind of bordering what we talked about when you were last on the show, Michael, with, with genre and working within boundaries. But, you know, I can't remember who said it, but the idea of this, it, it being there, with Project Natal, Sony's Motion Ones, whatever, but just for someone else and gaming re- remaining what it is now and, and letting us all explore it and improve our design with it, that seems like the perfect solution, which uh, probably isn't going to work for the companies involved. So uh, it's a nice idea, but I just think it's putting a lot of faith in Sony and Microsoft well, <laughs> at the moment. To be fair, I mean, like, the, 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 the Wii and the DS, I don't think they really... Like, at first, or the first batch of games that came out for those systems from third parties were pretty much, you know, kind of bad for the most part. There was the occasional good one here and there, but mainly Nintendo was putting out the stuff that was kind of cool and that really worked for the controls that were that were allocated for it. And I think I think Nintendo, in both cases, kind of showed other developers through their games, hey, this is how you're really supposed to do it. You know, try doing this in your game and people will like it. And try, you know, uh, don't really use the DS stylus as you would a second analog stick. Instead, use it to do this. This is what people really want. And I think that if Sony and Microsoft are a bit outgoing with what they're planning for their for their new relaunches of their systems with these motion controls, like if they actually show the developers, hey, look, this is what we got in the works. This is what's going to be a launch title for Natal. This is kind of what we're thinking of with this. This is what the kind of experience that we think people will like with our camera. And the same thing with Sony. Like show, I think if they were a little more outgoing with the, the probably other third parties and show them, hey, this is what we think will work to save the third parties the trouble of putting out these crap games that no one wants to play with these type of controllers. I think that'll kind of, uh, in a way, learn from the lessons of the Wii and the DS. You know, be more outgoing and allow those third parties to do better at launch or right after launch than um, other consoles have in the past. I think that's the key with Sony and Microsoft. I think they have to internally develop these killer apps. Otherwise, there's just no chance of these things really having any impact at all. All right, so to close up, just one more quick question for everybody. Um, and we'll start with you, Sinan, on this one. Hypothetically, PS4, Xbox 720, and the Wii 2, what controller do you think will be in that box? I think it will be the same controller and we'll say on live on it. How about that? <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> I fear for the future. Um, 
Michael, what do you think? Well, I I think the we will the hardware uh, change there will be HD and that the controller will be pretty much as it looks now and function like it does now and they'll just keep trying to perfect that. Um, I have no idea what Sony and Microsoft will do. I I think um, they will they they'll need to partner with somebody if if one of them comes out with this great deal uh, with Rockstar uh, or Bethesda or somebody and they've got this little library of games that they've secretly been developing <laughs> that are all going to come out at the same time when the new console comes out and there's this tremendous energy behind it then we're going to see like a really big different package come out otherwise I expect they'll, they'll look pretty much like they look now I think I, I find it very hard to think that there wouldn't be a gamepad of some kind with all of them uh, only Microsoft's Natal is the one that seems to indicate gamepad free play. I just don't I don't see it happening. What I would see is the PlayStation I becoming standard. It seems like they believe enough in that that they would either integrate it with the system or have it be like the Wii sensor bar. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't see anybody doing anything more revolutionary than what we've already seen. I think all you would get is the camera comes with the systems. Maybe even Nintendo would try to dip into that, but knowing them they have some freaky new idea that none of us can even conceive of. Hmm. Hopefully it's the Power Glove too. That's <laughs> it's a bad time, right? Yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> bring back the wizard, bring back the Power Glove, and I'm, I'm sad. <laughs> all, right. Um, all right, so on that we'll close. Um, I just want to thank Mitch and Michael for coming on the show today. You guys did fantastic, and it's always a pleasure to have you guys on. Um, so we'll just get a couple of plugs and shout-outs from you guys. Uh, so Mitch, tell us about your blog and everything else. All right, well, um, my blog is insultswordfighting.blogspot.com. It's updated anywhere from zero to five times a week. <laughs> um, and, and people like to comment on posts that I dash off, and then the ones that I work on really hard, nobody ever comments on. So that's that. I also uh, review games for the Phoenix, which is a paper here in Boston. It's thephoenix.com, and those usually are every week, although it's not a regular thing, and occasionally for Paste Magazine. Okay, great. And do you have a Twitter as well? Oh, yes, twitter.com slash mkirpata, where I say fascinating, enlightening things constantly. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Michael, you want to talk about the Brainy Gamer? Yeah, uh, brainygamer.com. It's my blog, and I have a podcast that's associated with it. Um, and I'll be releasing a new podcast uh, within the next couple of weeks. Um, and I love doing them and I love writing the blog and I'm always grateful for people that are interested in reading it. And you also have Oh, and I'll, I'll give you a shout out. A shout out to uh, Duncan Fife uh, who just finished uh, his blog Hit Self-Destruct. I encourage people to head over there and read his last couple of posts which are terrific and uh, sort of a fond farewell to Duncan who a lot of us admire for all the work he's done. And Stop whining about but no Wii games. Go play Little King's Story. It's the best, <laughs> it's the best Wii game this year. All right. I will have to do that then. I have been whining as well, so I guess uh, <laughs> not to be fair, Punch-Out! has kept me entertained, so that's that's good. Um, but I will check out Little King's Story. And you have a tutor as well, right? Yes, uh, Brainy Gamer. Okay, great. Um, and I'm on then... Facebook now. Facebook? Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> 
I held out as long as I could. <laughs> oh, you could have made it longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sort of wish I did now, I have to say. Because now I don't know what, like, what am I supposed to say on one and not the other, you know? You say like the same I, thing on both. That's what yeah, people do. That, but that makes people mad, I've discovered. <laughs> I did a thing where whatever I Twitter just automatically goes to, to Facebook, and I thought, oh, that's cool. And, but I got all this you know, resistance from people. So. Make one the bonus content, the extra special <laughs> one for, you know, for uh, extra keen subscribers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Um, Sinan, what do you got? Uh, I just wanted to, to follow up from Michael's shout-out. Weren't you part of um, Duncan Fife's farewell, Mitch? Didn't you write something for his farewell post or something? I, I'm getting confused on that. Well, he interviewed me for one of his last That's ones. Right. That's what you mean, yes. Which was shocking because everybody else he interviewed was just incredible. And then I saw my name in there too, and I was like, wait a minute. It's like Simon Parkin and Kieran Gillen and Chris Remo and Dick Brecken and then Mitch Kirpata. And I thought to myself, wow, Duncan has the wrong idea about things. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so yeah, people should definitely check that out. It uh, hits off the script. Um, good. Oh, my, um, another plug for something from Michael's uh, Vintage Game Club because I know one of our colleagues, Jeffrey Matleff, is playing Majora's Mask at the moment. Are you guys like talking about it quite soon in a in, in a final podcast or something, Michael? Yeah, we've got uh, probably two or three more weeks that we'll be playing um, Majora's Mask. And, and so people are welcome to come on over. You can catch up easily enough. We go very slowly, and it's a, it's a synchronized playthrough. Um, I, I don't tend to um, do Vintage Game Club stuff on the podcast, um, but maybe soon I will. Uh, so uh, I actually want to shout out to Jeff, too, because he cut off his handlebar mustache this past week. And it's solid snake mustache now. As, absolutely. <laughs> and um, I, I didn't think that I'd ever want to see him part with that mustache, but I do actually approve of his new look. So, Jeff... Uh, more power to you. Very good. Um, and that's it for this week's Big Red Potion. Uh, please join us next week when we will be talking about something that I completely can't think of right now. So um, until then, uh, be excellent to each other and uh, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Big Red Potion, brought to you by the Game Reviews Game On Network. Check out BigRedPotion.com for updates on the show and TheGameReviews.com for more thoughts from the TGR crew. Big Red Potion is also proud to be part of the Unified Gamers Network, which you can now find at unifiedgamersnetwork.com. You can also find both Sinan and Joe on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash shoinan, S-H-O-I-N-A-N, and twitter.com forward slash slam vanderhuge, slam V-A-N-D-E-R-H-U-G-E. And you can also contact us at our email address, bigredpotion at gmail.com. All that's left to do is thank the man behind the theme tune, Derek K. Miller. Derek, take us out with washing off like an aardvark. 